Welcome to Psalm Thing to Think About. <laughs> My name is Alex Van Amberg. I'm a certified psalm with the Court of Master Sommeliers and a certified specialist of wine with the Society of Wine Educators. My name is Christy Collins. I'm a mom of three, a yoga teacher, and a renaissance woman. Now, I don't know if you've joined us before, but if really, you haven't... Really? You're not even going to respond to that? You're not going to respond to renaissance woman? I'm sorry. I forgot. What, Christy, <laughs> is a renaissance woman? I can do a lot of different things. You certainly can. Yeah. I'm not a loser. Mm, no, not a loser. I'm a renaissance woman. Right. I like my new my new, um, my new, new intro. I like it. Okay, good. Yeah. The fact that you're sitting it. there in a fluffy pink Muppet death back row, <laughs> bathrobe is, while announcing what a renaissance woman you are is very, very contrasty. Let's put it that way. Hey, I don't have to do my hair and makeup for a podcast. So. That's true. We're going to have to start moving like a vlogcast where we do a video. No. Because then, then I'd need All the hair, makeup, wardrobe. Who's going to dress me? Uh-uh. Yeah, you're already pretty demanding for someone who's only doing an audio <laughs> recording. So. Okay, so um, the way this works, if you've never joined us before, is that Christy knows nothing about wine, and I know something about wine, and we tend to go through a wine together, uh, just seeing what happens and and, uh, and taking it you know casually. Because the idea is that wine should be fun and not frightening. And way too many podcasts make wine a terrifying thing or just dumb it down entirely. So we're combining a little bit or of education. Or just the way you all talk makes it scary. You all talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving past how exciting and fun and witty we are, let's move on to the wine, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> oh, okay. Did we, we didn't clink glasses. Well, you have to put <gasps> wine in the glass first and oh. then we clink glasses. Oh, okay. So, in, or maybe we'll Thank add God the clink in. Maybe we'll do Foley in, yeah, we'll Foley in the clink. How's that? Do I don't know. That? I'm just really glad that you know what you're doing. Hmm. Okay, so the wine has been poured. I'm, I'm obfuscating the wine now to make Christy work a little harder. So obfuscating? Uh, obfuscating. Nobody knows what that means. I'm obscuring the wine in a cloche, in a wine bag. I have a black bag you're that I put around the wine. You're covering it up. Yeah, which makes it fun. I'm obscuring it in a cloche. God, you're awesome. Oh, the words we use. Anyway, <laughs> so today we have a wine in a glass, uh, and Christy's going to tell us, describe the wine to us, Christy. It's red. Good. It's really pretty. It's like blackberry color. It doesn't have that rim thingy around it that's darker. Like it just gets lighter right around the edges. It's really pretty. And I can kind of smell it from here. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, uh, pretty oh, intense. It's, yeah, maybe my cold's all gone because that smells really good. So when I swirl the wine in the glass, the color stays up on the sides of the glass and then the, the legs start to form very slowly. But you can see the color saturation of the wine because the, the sides of the glass are staying dark. But you said that swirling the wine and legs don't matter. And I feel like Esther's legs are a big part of her in this wine. I, well, it tells you something about what you can expect when you put the wine in your mouth because of the saturation and the staining on the sides of the glass. That This wine is probably very, fairly dense. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that actually follows through. That that intensity of pigmentation is there indicates to me that this will probably have a very rich mouthfeel. Wow. There's so much to respond to that and, and your face after, like, like you just said that, like you were saying, Hey, what do you want for breakfast? Go ahead and unpack mouth that statement. Feel. Mm -hmm. You said mouthfeel as a part of your everyday speech. Like that's mm -hmm. a welcoming thing to say to people that don't know wine. How I'm would just... you discuss texture of something that you put in your mouth? 
It ain't gonna be Mount Phil, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what? I'm just what, saying. <laughs> a common phrase that you will use is, is when you talk about the, like the texture or the density or the viscosity or the you know or the whatever of the wine, whatever the wine feels like in your mouth. We call it mouth feel. All right, people, go get your dictionary. Cause it's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it, it gives you a, yet another feel. Tell me what viscosity is, please. Viscosity is thickness of a liquid, the density of okay. which, and, and the slowness of which a, a liquid will move. Like okay. a like very oil. viscous liquid would be oil or molasses, and a very a very thin liquid or non-viscous liquid would be water. Well, when you or, see oil ads, they talk about the viscosity of the oil. So you knew what it was. You just needed to mock me. Okay. Anyway, it smells rad, and it does have a nice intense color. And slow legs. How's that? Good. Does, it, <laughs> does any of that mean anything to you, or are you just saying them because they sound No, fancy? it has an intense color. When you when you swirl it, this mm-hmm. is the first wine I've ever seen that actually coats the glass, and it makes it look like um, those glasses in the 80s that had the pink tint on them. Okay. Remember those? No. Okay, well. But I believe you. Yeah, they're like clear frames or kind of a vanilla... They, like eyeglasses? Are you talking about eyeglasses? Yeah, eyeglasses. Oh, like yeah, they no. colored the eyeglasses pink on the bottom and blue on the top. Like you had eyeshadow and... Okay, tinted glasses. Glasses were yeah. so big. Tinted with pink and blue and... and then, okay, yeah. So it looks like the glass, is, the glass itself is tinted. That's what it looks like. Okay. It, Alex, it looks like the glass is tinted. Good. Okay. So the color of the wine, how would you describe that? Well, it is a... It's the richest color I've seen so far in a wine. Um... And I have to say, like, a really ripe blackberry on the outside color. Not when they're mashed, because then they get a little pinky. Mm-hmm. But this is um, really, really dark, blacky purple. Okay. Unless That's great. That's exactly you what you should edges. say. Right there. Stop being so cautious. Because it does look black. And then it, okay. it gets lighter towards the edges. That's exactly what you want to say. Because it does look black. It's very dark. You can't see through this wine. It's so Uh-oh. dark, it almost looks pruney. Like prune juice. Oh yeah. You know it's and and then it starts actually and towards the edge towards the rim you can see that carmine color that brightness but before then it's so black and dark and I mean it's it, but it doesn't go blue it doesn't go purple it just turns kind of reddish towards the edges. Yeah. So it's really I mean that's that's what we're I think we're looking for when we're describing that is it's you know you want to give someone else the visual picture. The reason you describe the wine is you're trying to recreate a visual picture and you're trying to reinforce with words what you're seeing in the glass so the next time you see it. When you bring up those words again, you see the picture that you saw it before. You're trying to create images that you stick with because that way you have something to – you're building a library in your head. So okay. you know what you like. So if you see this color again and you love this wine and the next time you see this color, you may love that wine. You never know. I like building a library in my head. I think my head needs a bigger library. <laughs> right? The Kittitas library is a little too small. A little small. So what do you smell? Um, I smell, it smells very strong. I can smell it way outside the glass. It's when my blood pressure goes up again. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't identify the smell, if you can say it smells familiar, but you don't know what it is, that's totally valid. I don't even know if it smells familiar, but it smells like, okay, it smells like Syrah. Okay. I don't know if it is a Syrah, but it smells like, um, so right. it smells like that. It smells chewy. It smells um, strong, lots of alcohol. Well, here's a good point to talk about actually in how you smell a wine because a lot of times if you spend a lot of time taking long, deep breaths, um, what you can do is you can kind of overwhelm. Your nose tends to adjust to the smells that you're experiencing. And so you kind of lose your ability to sense things because you, you start you, – your mind assimilates, assimilates those smells and then moves past them. 
So what you want to do is you kind of want to reset your nose. So sometimes the um, smellers will recommend taking three or four small smells and then one long big one. And sometimes <laughs> they'll recommend like sniffing like snowball. Um, <laughs> and sometimes they'll recommend I taking wasn't a, say it. a long deep breath and then um, and then letting it go and then moving away from the glass and coming back and trying again. Uh, one thing I found that really helps is the fact that you can actually reset your own nose just by smelling your arm. Like if you smell your arm, if you're smelling like your forearm, it actually it not changes. my armpit. You can huff your armpit too, <laughs> but if you do that, it actually kind of tends to reset your nose. So if you're if you think you're getting nose fatigue from sniffing too much, then take a deep breath and then um, smell your arm, and then oh my go god, back I have like, nose fatigue. Oh, oh, I just have to move my nose around for a second. I just need to stretch it out. Okay, mm-hmm. stretching my nose out. I have nose fatigue. Woo. Okay. It does make a difference, though. It, it is strange, but that's actually true. So you smell and little your arm sniffs and, are and... better than a big, deep breath. I'm so used to taking big, deep yoga breaths uh-huh. that that's how I'm thinking I should smell mm-hmm. is by like a big inhale, pulling the air in th- with your throat, relaxing your nostril muscles. Yeah. Right? But, that's how you do an But is breath. that how you would sniff like a nail polish or something like that? Depends. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Put the paper bag and the glue down. Where's the rubber cement? <laughs> so, okay. Well, what I'm getting off this wine, you know, honestly, it smells like a little bit like wet cedar. Um, if you ever, if you're on a deck in the rain, like a, uh, like a new cedar deck and you smell that wood, that wet wood, um, smell in the rain, it smells a little bit like yeah, that. Yeah. Now that you say it, I smell it. Well, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. That's why I let you go first because I'm not trying to, to predicate the experiment. I'm just trying okay. to let you have, you know, right. what you smell. And then behind that, I'm getting blackberry. Behind that, there's a little bit of cinnamon. I mean, it, it smells like blackberry. Oh, I smell the cinnamon. And then there's a little bit of that cinnamon and spice there. So I'm betting that this has probably seen some some oak because oak gives that, that cinnamon and spice. It also Baking spice. Baking spices. Brown spices. Okay, well, that's enough Enough playing okay. with the nose. I mean, that's fun and exciting, and it, it tells us some things. But let's move on to tasting. All right, let's go. That's So, speaking of tasting, when you go to taste a wine, um, you want to take about a tablespoon of wine into your mouth and move it around a bit. Not like a quarter cup. Or, you know, the whole glass, if you can fit <laughs> it, I guess. <laughs> but the idea is you want to kind of use your mouth to, to recombine air and the wine together in your mouth. So you take about a tablespoon into your mouth and you move it around your mouth and kind of expose all the surfaces of your mouth to it and then swallow and then breathe through your mouth because it's going to actually send smell particles to the back of your throat and up into your retronasal cavity. Are you kidding me? Did you just read that before we started this podcast? No, that's just... That's just a lot of of tasting and a lot of trying to figure out how to do it better. Because you smell things not only in the front, but when you take a taste, you actually, a lot of the flavors you're getting are coming through the back of your mouth, the back of your nose. Surprisingly enough. So what do you taste? Well, it's really good. It's really warm and very dry. Well, it has that dry sponge feeling on my tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, not extremely dry, though, I would say, because the, it, I'm still getting a lot of the juice and a lot of jamminess, and it's not so dry that I'm regretting, you know. No, it's not horribly dry, but mm-hmm. there's dryness. There is a dryness to it, absolutely, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attribute that to... There's a tannic structure to this, so there's a there's a the density in the color is definitely. Off Have we gone palette. over tannic? I don't think we've gone terribly into tannic. Could you just tell me? Tannins are long, complex molecular chains that form, um, and they're usually extracted from skin. Uh, sometimes okay, from I'm seed. sorry. It's um, it's a thingy. 
in the wine <laughs> that goes looking for other thingies in your spit? It just like shoots me out. I can't. I can't put that together. Little okay, little tiny dancing atoms are wandering around in the wine, <laughs> okay. and some of them are color ones, and some of them are flavor ones, and some of them are seed ones, and some of them are the and they form little they, they they meet up in a little dance, and they kind of bind and they form a little they form a little chain dance. So now they're doing a little country line dance in the wine. Oh, and that's they, so cute! They invite okay, more of their that. friends along, and the more of their friends that join in the country line dance, the more the longer the chain gets. And the drier it gets, and the drier it gets. There's this, this, so this, this little country line dance of little color and, and flavor molecules that are forming in there are binding together to form this little country line dance of molecules. And when they meet up in your mouth with the saliva, they want everyone to party, and so they rip apart the saliva, and the saliva breaks down into its component parts and start meeting up with the country line. They all partner up, and so now you're left with this very dry mouth because the tannins are like done. They okay, found their partner. Does that I make get sense? that. Okay, you did so good with that. I can't even <laughs> believe it. That you just you just did me. Good job. You just made that totally tangible for me. Well, and that's really what the communicating about making wine fun and not frightening. So I'm glad that we finally found that because it's something we've been looking for for a while. Because it's easy. It's easy to say. It's like, oh, well, this smells like blah blah blah, and for everyone to go, and that's literally what they hear. It's like I could say, well, this this smells interestingly like graphite or pencil shavings, and what you hear is, well, this smells like blah blah blah, blah, blah. because. <laughs> That doesn't mean anything to you. So when I say, oh, it's got a rough tannic structure, you're like, and eh, it's got a... Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't That's mean exactly anything. So, what I so, yeah. hey, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a rough sandy tannin dance party going on in my mouth. I love a rough <laughs> sandy <laughs> tannin dance party. <laughs> Well, and that and that's um, that's part of the difficulty of, of communicating is because, and I love line dancing. Okay, the difficulty of communicating about wine is that there's terminology that's shared by a very small group of wine professionals who who share a terminology, and then when you're coming from the outside of that, you don't know any of the words and you don't know what they mean and you don't know where to find definitions for it. So it's all gibberish. Well, and then I just start checking out when I don't know something. I check out and then I check out further. The more I don't know, the more I check out. Mm -hmm. And then it just feels like I'm so far behind. I just want to drink. Well, no, and that's absolutely fair because that's, there's no joy in that. Right. You know, no joy in getting beat over the head with an encyclopedia. There is a lot of joy in a line dance though. And in drinking wine. And now it's it's a tangible concept as opposed to something that's floating in the ethers. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening. And and then what, what happens is the tannin, molecular chains as they're line dancing over time as wine ages will grab onto color for a partner and that's when they'll, that's when they'll fall out of the solution that's when the party they'll, they'll stop dancing and they'll settle down at the bottom of the bottle of the wine and they'll take the color with them that's why wine gets brown they make a little family they, sure yeah, the grit they family. settle down the and... tannin and the colors form a little grit family in the bottom of your bottle <laughs> which is why your wine gets brown there you go all activated by oxygen. The marriage counselor of oxygen, I guess. Yeah. So, love it. Okay. All right. So, tannins. We're getting medium tannins. There's some tannins in the wine. They're making your mouth a little dry. Uh, fruit. Um, spice. Mineral. What else are you getting? I mean, I, I have like four fruits that I use. And I feel okay. like I've used them up. No, you never use them up. Wine. Okay. Boysenberry. Okay. Because it's a black, it's or an unripe blackberry. Okay, so this wine has spice. It has blackberry. It has tannin. Yeah. No, but unripe blackberry. You're smelling the wine and you're not tasting it. We're talking about taste right now. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I'm just... They're two very different sensations. I want to yeah, say but I still... Oh, I get kind of raspberry, actually. Mm-hmm. 
But that that under like not a sweet berry, a tart berry. Some green fruit in there. Like green underripe fruit. Underripe, but not green, because green is. Okay. You ever had a green berry? Uh, yeah. That's why what I mean by green or underripe fruit. Okay, what would you speculate this wine was and where it comes from? Any ideas? Any way to, any frame of reference for that? And you can say you have no frame of reference. I'm just going to say a Syrah because it does taste really deep and chewy, like the kind of wine that in my history been drawn to. So, okay. I, I mean, that's all. I don't, I don't think it is, but I don't know. Well, you're not wrong 100%. Um, because this, this grape variety is actually a fairly unusual one and it does possess a quality that reminds people frequently of Syrah. So this one is actually, um, what we're looking at here is a 2011 Primus Carmenere from the Colchagua Valley of Chile. Primus? Primus Carmenere. Carmenere. 2011 from the Colchagua Valley in Chile. There's just nothing that's ugly about that. Well, Carmenere is is this really cool grape um, that they've rediscovered in Chile. And uh, that used to be in the Bordeaux region of France right before when France experienced phylloxera. And, and the, everything got wiped out. And when... Dun, dun, dun. When the French Every time somebody says phylloxera, I want to be like, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> You'll be doing that a lot. It should be a drinking game on any wine <laughs> podcast when the word phylloxera comes up. Everybody should, says it, You should too. down your wine, your glass. Well, it was a, it was a devastating... It was the bubonic plague of the wine world. It was the black plague. <laughs> People thought the end of the world was coming. It was that bad. They thought that was it. They thought it was all over. So Chile is located in South America. It is one of the longest, narrowest countries in the world. It is over 3,000 miles long, and rarely does it get over 100 feet wide. 100 miles wide, rather. Wow. Um, So you could stretch Chile from Seattle to Miami, Florida, and have room left over lengthwise. But it rarely gets as wide as Washington State is north to south. It stretches from the South Pole, essentially, to the equator. Hmm. Essentially. And in the middle of that is a 800-mile region where they grow amazing wines that are kind of like the length of, say, California. Wow. Okay, so you were saying that Carmenere is a wine from the Burgundy region? Well, so did South did America, I get that right? You were, no. Uh, okay. well, it, it, is a, it is a grape <laughs> okay. from the Bordeaux area. <laughs> okay. So uh, it started with a B. That's good. It was French. Also Yay. good. Okay. And it was definitely a wine-related term describing it, which is also good. So those are all good things. So Carmenere <laughs> is a type of grape. Uh, and um, so it was grown primarily in Bordeaux, which uh, does the big, you know, the big Cabernet, Merlot, Petit Verdot, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, um, the big grapes, um, uh, Malbec. Um, mm-hmm. And so when um, Phylloxera hit, everyone fled France with their grapevines, hoping to find a place where they could continue their work somewhere in the world so that wine would not be lost forever. And some, a lot of French expats ended up in Chile. And now they're bringing in, um, you know, the Bordeaux varietals, the ones they're trying to rescue and trying to find homes for where they'll grow right. And uh, Chile was a And why would they grow right somewhere else? Because you need the right climate and the right place. So you, you can't. Why wouldn't they get phylloxera there? Well, hopefully, bum, bum, bum. hopefully they took the grape vines out of the ground before the louse got attached to it. Okay. And certain areas, certain types of soils don't allow the root louse to move from one vine to the next because it can't get through the soil. Really sandy soils keep the root louse from being able to transmit itself across the ground. It can't get through the soil. 
Why not sandy soil? Um, I, I would think that clay soil would be harder to get through. I think it moves through a, more of a liquid medium. Oh, okay. So if the soil drains too rapidly, it can't get through it. So, but what we know is that really sandy, loose soils are really hard for phylloxera dun, 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 to get, a, um, <laughs> to get a, a, a bite into, which is why Washington State is one of the few phylloxera-free areas in the world because the soil east of the, um, the mountains is very sandy and loose. It sure is. And the same thing is true in a lot of places in Chile. Chile is one of the only countries in the world where phylloxera is thought to not exist. Oh. So there's very few places in the world that are like that. So a lot of these grapes, so for a long time, they thought Carmenere was actually just a variety of Merlot that ripened a little earlier. So you'd go out in the vineyards and they look almost identical. The leaves are almost identical. Mm -hmm. The grapes are very similar. Similar Mm -hmm. color, similar shape, similar size, but... Carmenere ripens about two weeks earlier. So they thought they had early Merlot and late Merlot. Um, and it wasn't until people started doing hereditary gene testing in this century that they finally realized what they had there, that they'd rescued all by mm. accident this grape that they thought had died. Hundreds of years ago. Yeah. That's really cool. So Chile, looking for a sense of identity, declared that Carmenere was going to be the thing that put them on the map. And Carmenere to me is actually a, it's a blend in my mind, of results that end up tasting in the glass a bit like Cab, a bit like Merlot, and a bit like Syrah. It has the spiciness of Syrah. Mm -hmm. It has the structure and tannin of a Cabernet, but it also has the the velvety fruit and um, and gentle uh, plushness of a Merlot. Okay, so velvet, gentle plushness, Mm -hmm. I have to say is exactly right. That is... That's what I taste. It's a pretty awesome wine because it goes amazingly well with um, barbecue, with, uh, with with pork, with grilled meats, as well as just being a good cocktail wine. This wine is eight years old now, um, and it's drinking, you can't tell, it's drinking amazingly fresh. It's delicious. Yeah. So the Colchagua Valley in Chile is actually an up-and-coming growing area. They're thinking it's going to be kind of the Napa of, uh, of Chile. The, um, there's uh, some other areas that grow more and grow better, but this is um, about 100 miles south of Santiago, the capital of Chile. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, they're, they're, honestly, Chilean wines are only going to get better and better and better. And they're going to start actually charging what they're worth. Right now, they don't. How do you get better than this? So for a very long time, Chile um, has been charging, has been shipping bulk juice across the world, has been you know producing large quantities for export because they were looking at, the, at a market that was cheap, very, um, very large quantity production wines, and now they're finally getting into the high-end game, mm-hmm. uh, which deservedly so, because there's so many different microclimates. They can do anything in Chile. They, I mean, they, they can grow cool climate grapes, they can grow warm climate grapes, they can grow high-altitude grapes, they can grow, you know, close to the ocean grapes. So any type of varietal has a home somewhere in Chile. It just makes me, the way you talk about it makes me want to go look at a map. I don't think I've ever been driven to look at a map in my life. But I want to go look at what that land looks like by the way you describe it. Well, and, and something that I learned about Chile that I didn't realize, because you tend to think of it as this long, linear country that is a beach that leads up a mountainside and, and then tucked into these valleys and stuff as little vineyards. Well, there's actually another mountain range that, that's getting pushed up right now as we speak by, the, by the, the Pacific Plate as it's shoving its way against the South American continent. And it's pushing up another mountain range. So there's a mountain range that hits and then there's, and then there's a valley 
on the other side of it, and then it goes up into the Andes. Oh, wow. So there's this protected valley that runs most of the, the distance of central Chile that's actually protected from all the cool wind coming off the Pacific. But there's there's gaps in there. There's valleys that open up to the Pacific that let the cool breezes in. So it's even more complicated than I was describing. It's not just the sweeping Andes leading mm-hmm. down into the ocean. There's actually another mountain range. There's a valley in there. There's valleys within the valley. There are cool uh, growing areas that get lots of... Then there's the Humboldt Current that comes up from Antarctica, which cools the, the warm Pacific Ocean and brings in really cool breezes as well. It also cools the mountain ranges and stuff. So all this different, really exciting climate. Plus, the Atacama Desert is up north. And the Atacama Desert is, is bear with me, is the coolest place in the world because that's where NASA sends all the astronauts to do the training because it is the highest and the driest desert in the world. It looks like Mars there. Really? So much so that that other governments have um, have, have paid Chile or taken chunks of Chile in order to put radio um, telescopic equipment up in there because it's the closest to and the clearest environment to get the best view of the stars. So they put telescopes up there. They put radio telescopes up there. They put you know stuff that can interact with satellites there, all in the Atacama Desert. High, dry, and now they're planting grapes up there. High elevation, very Ooh. cool, extremely dry. Control your water supply. That is so cool. Which is a much better use, I think, of that land than, you know, more military purposes. More wine. (laughs) Peace through Bacchus. (laughs) So what is, the label is really beautiful. It looks like kind of Aztecan almost. Mm -hmm. And then what is the winery? Uh, I don't know much about Primus as a winery. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, in, in all honesty, the way Chile grew as a region. So what happened for Chile, what happened to Chile, is that Chile until had a democratic government more or less until like the 1930s, 1940s, I think. And then they were overthrown by a totalitarian regime. And so there was a very Marxist, um, you know, uh, right-wing government controlling everything, which drove all the production uh, into sort of a communistic way. Everything had to be produced, large quantities, low quality. Mm -hmm. And then um, a coalition of free-thinking, right-minded individuals, Uh uh, such as the U.S., (laughs) Decided they wanted a more friendly government in the 70s in Chile. Oh. And so they funded, um, a, a, let's say, a, an aggressive think tank to make that happen. And so An aggressive think tank. So come 1978, suddenly a... Chile has a brand new democratic government. <laughs> all friendly to capitalism. Come the early 80s, uh, suddenly money starts flooding into the country in a way that never did before because people saw investment opportunities. Um, you know, Lafitte Rothschild from Bordeaux in France. Big, old, rich wine money goes there and starts a wine project. Um, mm. You know, Robert Mondavi goes there and starts a project. So Napa wine money goes there. And suddenly these families are moving in. And what you already have there, though, is most of the wine industry immediately gets snapped up by two families in Chile. So what you have is the Concho y Toro family run business that owns over 600 different wine labels you've got you know lafitte rothschild moving in you've got mondavi moving in you got different people creating different and making investments in the country which are good for the country and -hmm. are also creating this vast monopoly of different wine management programs so is primus an independent label that belongs to a little family working out of huts and you know in in straw hats or is this part of the concho y toro 600 label family is Mm -hmm. this part of mondavi's project that doesn't have mondavi's name on it sounds like the mafia well, the Chilean mafia. Uh, I don't know if it's a Chilean mafia, but um, <laughs> it's a mafia of sorts. <laughs> the, well, it, anytime it's you have a, a family, <laughs> anytime you have an amenable uh, government put into place by a, a foreign power, uh, it does open the way for people with money to come and take advantage of of the mm-hmm. local scenario. 
but Chile seems to be doing really well. Um, you know, there's 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 more and more tourism all the time. The Easter Islands actually belong to Chile, uh, the Galapagos as well. So things that are important to the world are all part of Chile, and so therefore there's an interest in protecting Chile for the future as well. It's definitely on the list of places I want to go now that the more I've been reading about mm-hmm. it, particularly since the wine regions are growing. I met a gentleman who works for uh, a wine company down there. He was down there. He was back and forth there over the series of four years. And really interesting stuff that he was talking about, just the, the their different approach. It used to be this very, you know, um, you know, blue shirt, khaki sort of driven, you know, 80s business model. And now it's lots of garagistas and, and it's very, very grunge what, Seattle I... style. People doing offbeat things and trying to discover their own way. So there's a real sense of freedom and exploration going on there. It's, it's an exciting up and coming wine area in the world. What was that word you used? Garagistas. What's that? It's French for basically a garage maker. Someone who's working oh, in their garage. Interesting. Yeah. So well, it's a little Austin-esque. Austin, Texas. Sure. Why not? Okay. I wish you had done that little shooter thing from the medical supply store. The Coravin. So that you could, so that we could like drink this for the next month because this is really good. Well, I guess I'll have to drink faster. Well, I can't. Down in one. Go, go, go. Get a straw. Lots going on this week. Okay, a sissy. <laughs> so the wine tonight has been Primus's 2011 Carmenere from the Colchagua Valley in Chile. Uh, my name is Alex Van Amberg. Uh, I am uh, here with Christy. And we're on any, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's true. Yeah. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. Um, yeah, Breaker. Podbean, that's Lots cute. of different places. And we have a Facebook page. Facebook page. We have an Thank Instagram. you for liking it. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. We have 100 listens on our first episode, which is really exciting. It's 102. We are so... We're yeah. still working out the bugs. So, so yeah, uh, you should definitely check it out. Give us a review. Give us a like. Um, and, uh, yeah, something. S-O-M-M hyphen thing to drink about. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Good job.